Nutrition is remarkable in its ability to have people with completely opposite views saying they have science to support completely opposite views. Frustrating, isn't it? What are we supposed to believe? Welcome to Dynamism Biohacker. My name is Dr. Matt Hammett, wellness and nutrition expert, lifestyle trainer, and movement enthusiast. And each week, I'm going to share with you how to make the right nutritious choices despite conflicting expert opinions, where I help you to discover how to unlock your inner aborigine or your inner greatness. Thank you for spending this time with me today. So let's get into the training. Humanity's hunger for truth is a deep-seated desire within each of us to live an authentic life. We desire not only to witness authentic lives, but also to live an authentic life. We generally wish to be true to ourselves, but we just don't know how. In many respects, our age is one of abundance, but amid this abundance, there remains a great hunger in the people of today. We have a universal appetite for the consciously directed life, a longing to be and become and experience all we are capable of being. Everything good in the future depends on whether or not we will follow this longing to live with the conscious choice. The hunger for truth and righteousness is enormous, and yet at the same time, living with conscious choice has been largely rejected. The error that our fate is the result of our genetics, our family inheritance. Well, it stops most people in their tracks from learning about conscious choice. They become caged people because the stench of defeat is too great to bear. So why try? Why would they change their life if they can live without the consequence? The training in your hand holds the answer to that question. The truth is, everything has a consequence. There are no consequence-free choices, no consequence-free meals, no consequence-free sedentary lifestyle, no consequence-free mindsets. And everything has its own consequence. The consequence is the core reason we need to learn how to become a dynamic person. We need to learn how to live an authentic life. In this training, we're going to explore the authentic life. We're going to look at science in a new way. We're going to welcome optimistic challenge and why we need a new health model in healthcare, one that shifts away from sickness crisis intervention into the new health promotion model, how to get and stay well for a lifetime. We're going to define healthology, a term not yet in the dictionary or the study of health. We're going to break open the bones of dinosaurs and discover what our connected DNA really have to do with our health outcome. All that to lead us into a concept your doctor doesn't know about, and it's called the species-wide concept. In other words, the genetic requirements for one species is different from another species. I'll explain in today's show. Don't miss this show. And that leads me to Dynamism Biohack, The Authentic Life. 
Dynamism is the enthusiastic quality or charism that dynamic people possess that characterizes them by their vigorous action and progress. They step outside that it's genetic cliche, the blame it, name it, and tame it with a drug approach into what I call true health. This is the health class your doctor doesn't know, the wellness prevention and health promotion solution, how to get and stay well for a lifetime. That's dynamism. This extraordinary time when we are globally aware of each other and the multiple dangers that threaten civilization have never happened before. Not in a thousand years, not in 10,000 years. Humanity's complexity is as vast and marvelous as all the twinkling stars in the universe. We have made incredible technological advancements and at the same time swayed off course regarding honoring our created world. Science insists that the first living cell came into being nearly 4 billion years ago. Our DNA contains the genetic code, the same recipe for life that our ancient ancestors had in their DNA. You and I are living molecules that were shaped by our first ancestors to Moses, Christ, and your parents. We are animated earth and vastly interconnected with other species. Our fates are inseparable. The purpose of every cell is to become two cells and ambitions come true. Our bodies make a hundred trillion cells and ten times that are not even human. Your body is a microbiome community and without those microorganisms, life would cease to exist. Human life is one quadrillion molecules conducting millions of processes between trillions of atoms. Biologists argue that any given moment, the total cellular activity in one human body is a Googleplexian, a one followed by a Googleplex of zeros. In a millisecond, our body has undergone 100 times more processes than there are stars in the universe. And this is exactly what Charles Darwin foretold when he had said that science would discover that each living creature was a little universe formed of a host of self-propagating organisms inconceivably minute and as numerous as the stars of heaven. So there are five things that make people with a directive conscious choice different from the rest of the group. And I've named these five things the defining attributes and drivers the five pillars of a dynamic health. These five drivers are the life-giving habits that animate their lives. I'm convinced that if we work intentionally to help people develop a vibrant life through these five drivers, we will see incredible things happen in their lives and in the American healthcare system. For too long, we have been hypnotized by complexity. Look, science put men in the moon and created the internet and even high-definition television in the palm of our hands. People tend to forget that there is so much to Mother Nature. She needs no help, just no interference. As a result, when we try to share the knowledge with others, they often quickly become overwhelmed. Those who yearn for renewal in their lives, they don't know where to start. They do not know that there is a different option. The five pillars of a dynamic health cut through the complexity and provide a practical, 
and accessible model for engaging dynamic people. They provide a simple and understandable starting point. Wherever you are in your life journey, I hope you will find in the five pillars a model for renewal. The same way dynamic people are engaging this model toward a fulfilled life of health. Look, clearly things are not working. So we need a new approach. We need an approach based on what I call true prevention and true wellness. It is a new framework for human health. In the sickness crisis model of our sickness care system, we have identified both activators and drivers of diseases like diabetes, heart disease, and cancers, and so on. We spend all our time and energy warning people how to treat symptoms and blaming our genetics instead of teaching them the fundamental drivers toward health promotion. So to contrast the structure of this new model, it identifies five things that promote and activate human health. In this new model, human anthropology studies and evolutionary biology derived from the genetic data of our ancient ancestors provide the evidence for human health promotion, which are the genetic foundational raw requirements for human beings. And they are divided into five pillars because they are the foundational cornerstone to humanity. In this quintuple of health that is dynamic, interchanging, and interrelated, and a continuum of optimum levels of health, we have a model based not on standard linear models, but dynamic. The drivers of health constitute the standards our ancestors lived to, which also match what our genetic needs are of today. So to understand how this new model works, I need to explain how I derive the data from uh, various new perspectives. And this framework actually came after visiting a museum with dinosaur exhibits. I simply was with my kids at a museum out of here in Chicago and thought, wow, they figured all, all this about dinosaurs from looking at bones. And I thought to myself, maybe because I'm a chiropractor, but hey, I thought to myself, if they can do that for dinosaurs... Why not for humans regarding the drivers of health? Our modern day culture is so focused on the study of pathology. I was determined to study healthology, a term not yet in the dictionary, or the study of health. I wanted to find out if anyone else was thinking the way I was. I discovered they were. The human anthropology and evolutionary biology movement the only things I needed to do was to link up the two movements in research. And as a natural health provider, I knew I could add my perspective and create a model that promotes health, not disease-based care, but true health care. Science was realizing, like that of dinosaurs, we can assimilate scientific data from our past, compare it with present hunter-gatherer people and see the results. But before we can begin to understand the results, in essence, the basis for this new model, people need to understand paleontology, the science behind dinosaurs. So understanding the science of dinosaurs, right? This is a part of our story when I get to become that geeky kind of, you know, geeky kind of Star Trek nerdy freaky guy. <laughs> Fossils provide many different clues to us about dinosaurs. And researchers discovered, well, they've discovered microscopic structures called melanosomes and within fossilized feathers of ancient birds. And different kinds of these melanosomes create different colors in the feathers. 
So by studying growth rings, scientists can estimate how fast the animal was, you know, was growing at different times in its life and how old an individual animal were when they died. Pretty fascinating stuff. And how do they eat? Well, fossils also provide several different kinds of clues about the diets of extinct animals. So the teeth and jaws of modern animals show adaptations for different feeding behaviors and diets. So for example, animals adapted for killing large prey by biting tend to have massive jaws and large muscles for holding the jaws uh, closed. And their teeth can vary from thin and knife-like, right, good for slicing meat, or to thick and banana-shaped, which of course is better for piercing and tearing out chunks of bone and flesh. So scientists try to find similarities between the teeth and the jaws of extinct and modern species, which infer that their diets may have been similar. And this type of analysis has led to the hypothesis that the predators from this period were good biters, but their teeth were not well adapted for chewing bones. Right? So by comparison, studies of living mammals show that chewing tough or gritty food leaves wear marks on tooth enamel. And hard foods such as nuts, twigs, and bones, they leave pits on the teeth. And tough grit covered, you know, pulled from plants uh, growing near the ground leave scratches called tooth microwear. So tooth microware analysis is just starting to be used to understand dinosaur diets. And I know I'm all geeky here, but new studies have helped scientists distinguish between plant eaters that grazed on low growing ferns from those that browse on the leaves and twigs of trees. So what am I getting at? Well, look, some of the fossils, they get preserved within their stomach contents too, right? So for example, Sometimes they find a smaller fish fossilized inside the stomach of a predator fish, indicating the type of species or fish it ate. This is important. Fossilized feces, right, have a specific science name for that, but they usually contain partially digested animal or plant tissues. And close examination of these tissues provide information about the foods that the animals that, uh, you know, deposited these things, that th what they were eating. Now, the best evidence for movement of the dinosaur or how they travel comes from what's called trackways or sequences of fossilized footprints. And from trackways, scientists can learn whether dinosaurs traveled individually or in packs, how many traveled together, and which dinosaur led the herd, and even how fast they traveled. So trackways from multiple dinosaurs often reveal that they were in a herd if the tracks appear to have been made at the same time and are in the same direction. Some of the tracks show where dinosaurs moved side by side or where the animals' paths undulated back and forth together. So how do dinosaurs think, you may ask? In order to understand how dinosaurs might have thought, scientists first estimate the size of a dinosaur's brain based on the size of its skull. And sometimes they use CAT scan technology to reconstruct the dinosaur's brain. Then they estimate the dinosaur's intelligence based on the size of its brain related to its body size. And they also consider the size of certain parts of its brain since different parts of the brain relate to different senses or aspects of intelligence. What, so what does dinosaurs teach about humans? A pertinent question, isn't it? What does dinosaur teach about humans? Great question. Why not? Apparently, since the 17th century, we have come to know about humans by studying rats. Kind of a mind-boggling situation, isn't it? After all, 
one would normally not call humans and rats all that similar. As a matter of fact, according to the literature, over 86% of Western science uses rats to study humans. Rat science is used for creating drugs, understanding psychology and behavior, and even, unfortunately, in recommending diet and nutrition. In fact, each year's Nobel Prize winner comes from studying rats. Do we study rats to understand dinosaurs? Let me ask that question again. Do we study rats to understand dinosaurs? No, of course not. Do we study frogs to understand the earthworm? No, of course not. Then how can we switch out a rat for a human? And that question leads me to the parable of the marine biologist. So this is the parable of the marine biologist. A young woman walked up to a marine biologist and asked her to help her pet dolphin who appeared ill. And the woman continued to point to a shark and asked her to cut up and study everything she could about the shark to formulate a pharmacology product to give to the dolphin. The marine biologist looked perplexed. That's absurd. In fact, pseudoscience. This is a shark. I should study the dolphin, she said. The marine biologist, along with any geneticist or zoologist, would agree. What algorithm, what formula could they develop that will safeguard the health of the dolphin if the research was based on the physiology of sharks? That is ridiculous. Study the dolphin, added the marine biologist. Why? They both live in the ocean. They are both the fish, replied the young woman. It is a totally different species. It has a completely different genome, and it has a totally different genetic code. In fact, no biologist, geneticist, zoologist, or scientist would study a different species and recommend a pharmacology product from the physiology and genetic code of a different species anywhere in the world for any reason, cried the marine biologist. You might as well ask me to study a snail to treat an angelfish, snapped the marine biologist. The young woman stared in confusion and asked an obvious question. So why are we studying rats, mice, rabbits, and others to formulate ph pharmacology for humans? Did you get the parable? Let me gently tell you that I do see the great value of rat science, including the enormous amounts of scientific data we now have, thanks to our curtain methodologies. I also honor the scientists who study rats. I have some close friends who do so, and I wholeheartedly believe they are providing the baseline for our advancement in science. I am only reporting what my experience has been with the literature. The competition that exists between scientists and clinicians when they try to validate a study become varied by so many factors. In my scientific journey, I cannot agree that a rat is a high qualitative standard when it comes to human health. I also know that every scientist agrees that we would be better off studying humanity for humanity, not a rat for humanity. Again, for those committed to this type of science, I honor you and thank you because your work is very important. My point is this. Humans have been studying thousands of different species for several years. We have many specialized PhDs in numerous disciplines that study each aspect of science. In fact, trying to compromise a list of specialists that do this would be a painstaking task. 
See, in ecology, in every known species known to man, no one studies a different species to try to understand the anatomy, physiology, genetics, nutrition, and all the other scientific aspects. To think that rats and other animals are similar to humans matters not. When we study the earthworm, we study the earthworm. When we study a rabbit, you wouldn't study a frog. Could it be that comparing the biology of a rat species to a human species is simply the wrong paradigm? Take a moment and reread the statistics about modern medicine. We already discussed this in an earlier training on the concept called medicalization of life. Perhaps extrapolating data from other animal species and trying to compare that with humans is simply the wrong paradigm when we have the technology to study human, healthy subjects from our ancient human ancestors and comparing that with our modern hunter-gatherer humans exhibiting exceptional levels of health. Perhaps sickness, disease-based care on the diseases of civilization is simply the wrong paradigm regarding finding solutions for the prevention and treatment of chronic disease. Let me explain it to you this way. If you do expand our vision of healthcare, not based on sickness and disease, but on the true drivers and activators of health, we would have a true healthcare system that deals with both the study of pathology and the study of human healthology. Now you're beginning to look at biology through a different set of lens. Let us focus our lens on the next concept of health promotion. In our next training in the five pillars of a dynamic health, I'm going to talk about the species-wide concept. I gave you a glimpse of it already. Why is it in marine biology, in fact, in any other biology course, we don't switch out species? If you want to study a shark, you study the shark. It would be quackery to study an earthworm based on the, and based on its anatomy and its physiology and its biological makeup of an earthworm. Assume it will be you know, well for veterinarians when they want to help a dog. If we wouldn't break the biological law between differing species when it comes to animal and other sciences, how can we assume it will work when it comes to studying humanity? And this is the question I'm going to address in the next show. This is the big aha moment, right? Aha. Now you understand why death by medicine is the leading killer in the United States, according to stats. See, the science we use to extrapolate data isn't even human. Something no scientist or geneticist can argue. We would never do that in veterinarian school. A dog is not a cat. And on and on. Could it be that extrapolating data from animal science is simply the wrong paradigm? Think about that. Until next time, lighten up, move better, and live fuller. If you are a current patient in our office, I love you. Thank you so much for your confidence in us. If you are not a patient, I certainly would love to meet you someday. Go to our website, newlifefamilychiropractic.net. And also, I just want to remind everyone that we got the same 24 hours in a day. I'm no busier than you are, but if your goal is to live a happier, healthier, and fuller life, you've got to learn to manage yourself. 
And that means managing your movement, which drives your energy. When we better manage our energy, we're better able to be more present and vibrant and enjoy our life. We're better able to manage our five pillars of a dynamic health. You deserve a life that is peaceful, that is balanced, that is happy, where you have tons of good health. The health that you need, the health that is on demand when you need it most. You see, because health doesn't come to you, it comes from you. It is a fruit that is grown and earned. And I know we all heard the genetic cliche, the blame it, name it, and tame it with a drug approach. But the truth is, the solution doesn't lie with more drugs and surgeries. The solution lies with you. You know it's not so much of a healthcare crisis as it is a self-care crisis in our world today. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I love you. I love hearing from you. So don't forget to reach out to me. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Do so by whatever is your favorite social media platform. Send me a message there. Let me know that you listened to this episode and what you thought of it. And as always, I appreciate it in advance anyone who is kind enough to write a review. That is the ultimate gift. I appreciate you very much for that. I love spending this time with you. I'm Dr. Matt Hammett reminding you to lighten up, move better, and live fuller. Until next, Dynamism Biohack.